To God be the glory, great things He has done. Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. Jesus declared on the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. The whole purpose of our doing or being and saying and going is that God gets the glory. That's the whole message of the gospel. He gets the glory. No one else. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When you think of the apostles, most likely the names that come to mind might be Peter, John, or Matthew, names associated with books of the Bible or memorable things they might have said. But today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier introduces us to yet another faithful apostle known by the name Labius Thaddeus and discover much about him simply through the meaning of his name. Let's listen. The ability of God to use every individual is amazing. And a classic illustration is that of King James of England, the first. He was a habitual drunkard and rumored to be addicted to other vices which could not be mentioned in public. A king of England, he married off his children as pawns to suit his own foreign policy. He drained the total treasury to meet his cost of his extravagance and wine and women. Unkingly, in almost every respect, he was described in this way by J.T. Green. Quote, his big head, his slobbering tongue, his quilted clothes, his rickety legs, his googled eyes, stood out as a grotesque contrast to all that men recall of Henry and Elizabeth in his gable. His want of personal dignity, his coarse buffoonery, his drunkenness, his pedantry, his contemptible cowardice. It's quite a description of a man. Yet, God, in overruling providence, used this man to assemble scholars and to push through the authorized translation of the Bible of 1611, the most influential Bible of all times, the King James Version. God is so sovereign. He amazes me. <laughs> He's the creator. He uses who he wills, when he wills, how he wills, as he wills for whatever purposes he wills. And in a way that we don't understand, he never violates our will. Try to figure that one out. We are told in the scriptures that women and men are like clay in the hands of a potter. And he sovereignly shapes and molds each person for his purposes. The 10th apostle, according to Matthew's list here in Matthew 10, Three is Labius Thaddeus, who, like James, the son of Alphaeus, which we looked at last time, has very little record about him. There are three particular things that we are told about Labius Thaddeus, and so what we want to do is use these three categories to study him. First, the particular names of Labius Thaddeus. 
Secondly, the person of Livius Thaddeus. And then the proclamation of Jesus to Livius Thaddeus. And so let's begin with the particular names of Livius Thaddeus. He was called first Labius. Here we have it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. The name comes from the word Leb in the Hebrew, which means heart. It could mean beloved child of one's heart. It could also mean large-hearted and courageous. Most individuals take it to indicate that he was a man of heart, courageous. From his name, it appears that he was a man of character and determination, persistent in his conviction and purposes, persevering in times of difficulty and danger. He was one of the 12. But notice, secondly, that he was surnamed Thaddeus, Matthew tells us. It's also recorded in Mark 3.18. Thaddeus comes from the word that means breast, perhaps indicating the breast of a woman, the surname could refer to the fact that he was the youngest of the family, the breast child. He was a baby of the family. He was the one that was looked after by all others in the family, if in fact he was the youngest. You know how that is. The name was probably a nickname, communicating warm affection, and love endearment. Many of the names that are given to individuals in other cultures, we don't have it in America so much. But nicknames in other countries, they not only can be interpreted as diminutives, but as endearment. In Spanish, in Mexico at least, you always end it with an ito. It's like, me, you would say Javierito, it means little, but you call that to a man who's 30, 40, 50 years old if you're the parent because it means endearment, a loving affection. And so many of these things, sometimes as Americans, we don't understand something, but if you're from other culture, you have a lot of similarities with the Hebrew culture. This probably was the case with this man. Affection, endearment. But thirdly, he was identified as Judas, the brother of James. We find this in Luke 6, 16. So, he has three names. <laughs> but we all have three names, right? The name Judas means he shall be praised. We know that names depict character in many occasions of the Old Testament. Samson means like the sun. This is what he was to be before the unbeliever. But instead he became self-will, obstructing the light of God. Samuel means his name is El, referring to the fact that Samuel was a direct gift from God. El means God. El, Ohem. El is one. Ella is two. Elohim is three or more. Anytime a Hebrew word ends in an I-J-M uh, or I-M, it means plural. In the beginning, 
Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The Trinity is smack dab in the middle of the first verse of the first book of the Bible. The Trinity. Then in chapter 1, verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image. Us is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A conversation. It's not the horny toted lizards. It's a personal pronoun. Daniel means God is my judge. God knew his heart commitment to God and the things of God. He was not concerned with being seen of men. And he was very aware that he was being seen of men. And so he lived in such a way as to give them a picture of God. Some children were named after the direction of God, such as Ishmael, Isaac, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, Jesus Christ. And he gave those names, very meaningful names. Now, the name is derived from the Hebrew name Judah, which means praised. Remember, Judah was the son of Jacob by Leah. Judah was the tribe descended from Judah, the son of Jacob. Judah was the territory occupied by the tribe of Judah, the tribe by which the Messiah would come. He did not come of Levi, and the author to the book of Hebrews makes that very sharp distinction that he came of a tribe that was not of the priestly tribe, but he came after the order of Melchizedek. Judah was the kingdom comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which occupied the southern part of Canaan after the nation split after the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam. And there came civil war. Now the name Judas is most likely his proper name with two accompanying nicknames which he was known by. To the community, he was known as Judas. To his friends, he was a courageous man. To his family, he was the youngest or the baby of the family. And that is often the case in many Eastern cultures as well as Latin cultures. The apostle is not to be confused with Jude, the Lord's brother, or Judas Iscariot, okay? Different people. In fact, John goes out of his way to distinguish him by the statement in John 14, 22, Judas, not Iscariot. So he goes out of his way to distinguish him, so he not be confused with him. Judas, the son of James, Labius Thaddeus, or the son of Judas, uh, Labius Thaddeus was a faithful apostle. Judas Iscariot was an unfaithful apostle, the one who betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, the one who pilfered the treasury that he carried, and the one who Jesus loved. To the very end, the one who is synonymous with treachery and the most evil kind that even is known by the non-believer. You know anybody who names their kid Judas? 
Nobody names their kid Judas. Nobody names their daughter Delilah. You just don't do that. Until about the year 1100, most people in Europe had only one name. With population increasing, it became difficult to distinguish among people, so surnames were added. These came from four primary sources, a man's occupation, such as John Cook or Miller, location, such as John Overhill or Brooke, patrimonial, such as John's son, Johnson, and characteristic, such as John Small, Short, Longfellow, and so forth. In addition to the need for identification, one occupation had to go a step further, the fighting men. In the Middle Ages, combatants wore heavy armor suits, which made them unrecognizable. To prevent friends from fighting friends, each knight identified himself by painting a colorful design on his armor. In this manner was born the family coats of arms. So names are very significant, at least in those days. Today our names mean nothing. We have rooted ourselves off from the past as a modern civilization. We could care less. Your genealogy, your family line was very important. Over here, we're interested in money and popularity and an easy life. It's a whole different perspective. The believer's name, Christian, identifies him or her to the family of heaven and with the heavenly Father through the line of Jesus Christ. That is our heritage. That is our name. And as we live like pagans, we didn't care much about our genealogies and our family name and what we did and how we lived. Now it should be of the utmost importance, of the utmost diligence. For Christian means Christ-like. So next time somebody asks you, are you a Christian? I want you to hear these words when they ask you that. Are you Christ-like? Because that's what they're asking you. That's what they're asking me. How the church needs men and women who are known as agents of praise of God. They shall be commended by the people of God. Even as Paul did regarding Timothy, listen to him. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, Philippians 2.20. What an amazing statement. Now, I'm sure Paul has some pretty sharp guys with him. Timothy was outstanding. Jesus declared on the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. The whole purpose of our doing or being and saying and going is that God gets the glory. That's the whole message of the gospel. How the church needs courageous Christians today as we are surrounded with so much humanistic philosophy that alienates man from God. And it's crept into the church a lot today. 
Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 to continue to be courageous in the ministry at Ephesus, reminding him that God had not given him a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Paul reminds Timothy that it is a spiritual warfare as he moves on in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. So we are born into warfare. And, and when the fight comes, it's a good fight. Don't roll over and, 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 and hide and don't run. There's no armor in the back. <laughs> but as Paul's custom always was, he never asked anything of anybody, which he was not willing to first do. And so when he gets to chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he demonstrates to Timothy what he has counseled him on. As he was waiting for his execution, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me all alone, but also to all who love his appearing. Courageous. Soldiers of the cross. Courageous in your family. Courageous in your relationship with your wife, your husband, your children. Courageous in, in the gifts that God has given you. Courageous in the call that God gives you. Trusting Him, depending on Him, seeking Him, and doing it. That He gets the glory. No one else. How the church needs men and women who are children who have the heart of God. David was said to be a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Now, we know the life of David. It didn't mean that he was perfect. It certainly didn't mean that he didn't have the capacity for gross sin. It meant that he had a heart tender to the things of God and God could convict him. And he could humble himself. And he could depend upon God's grace for the consequences of life. As difficult as they may be. A common phrase in the scripture is to purpose in one's heart. Referring to the wholehearted commitment of a person that is void of any hidden agenda or ulterior motive. The psalmist says, teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 86, 11. Paul tells the Corinthians, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. A whole heart, totally committed, nothing hidden, no agenda, just lovingly, just enjoying, just you and God. No one else. The particular names, Labius, Thaddeus, and Judas, all designate the same person. They give us quite a bit of information about him. It's all the information we have, so we have to wring it out like a sponge and see what the names mean. Notice, secondly, the person of Judas, Labius Thaddeus. Uh, first of all, Labius Thaddeus was one of the 12 apostles. We began with the listing there in Matthew. But as you know, he was chosen after an entire night in prayer. Luke 6, 12, and 13 tells us that. 
And he is distinct from the 70 that were sent out by Jesus. Once again, he's among the 12. He is in the third group of four. The first group of four were the most intimate in fellowship with the Lord Jesus, as we have noticed and studied. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The second group of four were less intimate in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. The third group of four were the least intimate in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius Thaddeus, surname and his proper name Judas, Simon the Canaanite, and last of all, Judas Iscariot. In each list, be it in the Gospel or Acts, there is also a leader for each group, as we have pointed out. Peter is the leader of the first four. Philip is the leader of the second four. And James, the son of Alphaeus, is the leader of the third four. And you need to understand ministry because God works like that. And I'm just really seeking the Lord because he's done so much for us. He's given us a lot of opportunity, a lot of experience, and we've seen what God has done. And I began when I was 23 years old. God has done so much. He's taught me so much. He's shown me so much. I've seen him work. And I don't want to waste it. I want to multiply myself. I don't want to just spend one thing. If I can train a hundred men to do my work, I'm wiser when I can teach them to do what I'm doing and duplicate myself. And so we're just praying a lot to see what the Lord's going to do, which way he wants us to go, what he's doing. And, and you should view ministry like that in, in expansions of, of, of groups so that you are multiplying yourself. You're passing that ministry down, that vision down, and, and you're, you're just pouring yourself into others. There is no competition. There is, that's all carnal. Listen, people are going to hell and Jesus is coming. Let's get on the stick. Let's do what God has us to do. And when we get to heaven, we'll all just praise him and have a great eternity together. That's what it's all about. Perhaps you have seen the movie with Jimmy Stewart. It's a Wonderful Life. They play it every Christmas season. And as you know, the movie is about a man who thought that the world would have been better off if he had never been born. And he goes by this bridge, and it's snowing, and the river's freezing, and it's cold, and he's going to jump off, and his guardian angel jumps into the water himself, and so Jimmy Stewart jumps in to save him, and, and then the angel begins to, to show him what the other people's life would have been like, the whole community without him, the difficulty, the hardships, the tragedies, and how he had affected so many lives. Brought a whole new perspective and appreciation for life. And so God would have each of us to know by faith that others will be the better for our involvement and participation in the body of Christ, but eternity will reveal it. Our earthly temporal life will not reveal all, and it doesn't need to. There's a purpose for your life, far beyond yourself, far beyond your family. You need to align yourself with them, and so do I. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, making a classic illustration for God's ability to use those who are His in the lives of others for His divine purpose. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule permits you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Labius Thaddeus. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Labius Thaddeus, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 